came ready to preach a little bit, so I hope you're okay with that. I'm going to preach a little. Uh, I've done a lot of teaching, I think, uh, with this Gospel of Mark, but I, this, this is like one of those subjects that just beckons uh, a little bit of preaching as well. I'm going to teach a little bit, but I'm definitely going to preach a little bit as well. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. You're good. Yeah, go for it. We're good. I, I, I got three kids, man. My days are getting distracted. We haven't got to the place yet where I'm distracted by a lot of things yet. So it's, it's going to happen eventually. I'm going to get to the place where like I've gotten so used to the quiet now. All this noise is distracting, but it hadn't reached that place yet. But I have girls, you know, so chatterboxes. <clears throat> and we hired a girl at my work, and she's a chatterbox. I can say that because I've told it to her face, so it's not like it's gossip. I've actually said that. I've had to tell her when she comes in sometimes in the morning on, on Fridays or, or Saturdays. She's like, as soon as I get there, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Stop. Let me get some coffee. All right? All right? And, and I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I say the same thing to my wife, Okay. Let me get some coffee. Actually, I don't have to worry about that with Joy. More like Reese, all right? But because uh, Joy's like Joy's the Joy's how that is really like stop coffee right now. So we've got some new glasses coming. I'm pretty happy about that. I'm feeling pretty old these days. These are just readers. So when I look up and I'm wearing them, I can't see you at all, all right? But if I take them off, I feel like I'm doing this all the time, right? I've I've done that a couple times where I've jabbed myself in the eye. Have you done that yet? Like it gets annoying after a while. So. I'll try to like just leave them kind of kicked down, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, we're, we're in Mark chapter 16. Finally, we've arrived at the last uh, chapter of Mark. Um, and I, I do want to make sure, uh, will y'all make sure that we're recording this? Okay, good. <clears throat> so we've, we've arrived at this last chapter, chapter 16. It's awesome, right? It's been over a year in the making. A year in the making. Now, here's the thing is, it's not the final message, though. I mean, we're not done with Mark just yet, all right? I think I at least got one, I got one more out of Mark that we're going to get to, but we've reached at least the beginning of the end, so to speak. The, and the truth behind what we're going to talk about today really is the single most important truth that we're going to learn. In the last, over, well, I think October of last year is when we started this journey, believe it or not, of going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but really what we've arrived at is what we've been trying to get to for over a year. And don't take my word on it, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the Corinthian church, this is what he had to say concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there. Stay at Mark 16. I'm going to read to you a little bit of what he told to the Corinthian church in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Paul says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw Him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, 
I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, Paul says, it is because all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Verse 20, he goes on to say, yes, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. So this morning, we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss what went down after the burial of Jesus Christ and the scene that takes place three days later. So for today or for this morning's purpose, it's Easter all over again for us. All right, today we get to talk about Jesus resurrecting himself from the dead. Today we talk about how the tomb is empty. His friends, they're mourning the loss, right? But they're not going to mourn for long. Today, can I tell you this morning, the preacher in me says, you might have had a rough week, but not today. Today is your morning. Amen? That's all right. You don't have to believe it, but when I preach it, you will. Mark 16, 1 through 14. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended... Mary Magdalene, mother, uh, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out to per- and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman for whom Jesus had casted out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. And when she told them that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I just pray right now, God, you would anoint the very words that you've given me, God, to do the purpose by which you intended them to do, God, to speak into the stone heart to open up ears, to open up eyes, God, that they may see, hear, and know that you are alive today, that this message is for them, that if they've had a rough week, the morning has come, God. Lord, I'm believing by faith now. You will do that which you've set out to do in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Amen. So let's cover the basics real quick before we start to investigate just a little further and just get some of the common stuff out of the way as we talk about this Easter moment, right? Basics 101. Jesus died on a cross. We know why he did it. 
Like Paul said, as sin came into the world through one man, it also through one man that sin would be conquered. The cost of sin was to be paid for by one individual, specifically one man. The sacrificial lamb, matter of fact, is not a lamb at all because there aren't enough animals to atone for our sins. So Jesus steps in. And while this is the good news that through uh, one man our sins are atoned for, the best part of the gospel, listen, the best part is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it is the promise that we will also be resurrected in him. Death is no longer an end, but now not only is our sin atoned for, but now we receive an eternal life in Jesus. We are promised now that we will not remain in the grave, but we will be resurrected and join him into the place that he has prepared for us according to his word, right? This is the great news of Jesus Christ. To those who believe in Jesus and believe in what he has done, listen, he tells you today that your faith has made you whole and your reward for believing in faith is that you will also be where he is. This is the truth of the gospel that we now can be citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus, however, didn't rise up from the dead and just leave. All right, That's not what happened, right? He made sure that people saw him. He made sure, I think this is kind of interesting, he made sure that he saw his mom. You know, he made sure that he saw his mom go. I remember a, a funny moment uh, that Bill Cosby talks about uh, when raising his only son. He had a, all girls, right? And he had this one boy. And he says, you know, you raise this boy up and he becomes this great football player and he's doing well. And he gets a scholarship into college. And as he's in college, he's playing football and he's a star and he, score, he scores his first touchdown and he runs. And you've just worked, you've given hours and hours playing football with him. He runs right up to the camera and he says, hey, mom. Mm. Boys love their mother. Jesus makes sure he sees his mom and even his friends before ascending up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And with that being the case, let's examine these scriptures this morning. Let's examine what we just read and discover for ourselves what Mark's gospel says about the final days of Jesus on earth. Yes, we acknowledge the resurrection. We're going to come back to it, but we all need to discuss what is all happening in between. We don't want to cut it short. It'd be easy for me to just come in here and preach an Easter message and just be done and let it be simple. But there are things happening that beg questions. Looking back at our text, it tells us that, first of all, it was a Sunday morning. A Sunday morning. Three women, they're somberly uh, making their way up to the tomb. Because I can only assume for three days they've been crying. And if they're doing anything, like even maybe according to Jewish culture, they probably got sackcloth and ashes. All right? And I don't know if you can picture that, but you really should try. Like, because if they've been crying for a few days, I can only imagine how they appear. They're probably exhausted, right? They witnessed Jesus on the cross. They were there at his final breath. And the scriptures tell us who these people are. That the first one, Mary Magdalene, is a woman who Jesus had to cast devils out of, right? A woman who is, uh, 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 for a lot of people would say, a scarlet red woman. Mary, now, you have also alongside her, who is the mother of Jesus, who watched her son be crucified, who watched her son die, her son poked at with the spear, and then you have Salome, and if you don't know who that is, some scholars believe uh, that she is the mother of James and John, also called the sons of Zebedee. And so as they are walking, they are discussing the impossibility 
of moving this large stone that lays in front of the tomb. Now, it's got to be large enough because there are three of them and they still don't have the strength to move it. How are we going to move it? Well, there's three of us. I don't know about you, but I have seen my wife and Reagan move furniture, right? They, they can do some pretty amazing stuff, just the two of them, but there's three full-grown women and they can't move this stone. So they're trying to figure this out, right? This gives us this idea as to the size and the scope of the rock or the size and the scope of the impossibility that lays in front of them. And as they approach this place where Jesus is buried, they're met with a surprise. They're not expecting this, right? The stone is rolled away, and then there's this young man who's clothed in a white robe, and he's basically been waiting for them. Now, the Bible describes this man as an angel from the Lord, a messenger from heaven itself. And to me, it's interesting that he's descriptively referred to as a young man. Kind of a nice thing, actually. Right? And remember... It's kind, of, it's kind of different because this is an angel, a supernatural being possessing all sorts of supernatural abilities that are really foreign to us. We have no idea what they can and can't do. We have some ideas. But it's, it's interesting to me that this is how they paint this angel of the Lord as a young man. In studying this, I came across a great line in a commentary that describes the angel perfectly or the idea of an angelic host perfectly. It read this, and this is really good. No waste decays their strength. No change robs them of forces which have ceased to increase. In heaven, the oldest angels are the youngest. Mm, It's good. It's good. This angel that possesses a young man's face knew why they were there. He was very aware of what had all taken place, right? Nothing is veiled before him. He is fully included into the sovereign plan of God. And he waited as a messenger does, and he presents this obvious truth. First and foremost, he's not here, right? It's like, okay, thanks, Captain, obvious. But he's not here, right? He's risen. And he, and, he, and he doesn't stop there. It's not like, that's it. That's all you get from God, right? No, no, no. He says, no, go ahead. Go inside the tomb. Go ahead. Touch it. Go ahead. Feel it. See it. Right? And then he gives them the first mission. Go and tell others now. And this is interesting too. That the first message upon the resurrection of Christ is given to women. The first mission, the first message and mission after the resurrection is given to women. And I'm fascinated by this. I can't help but wonder if it's because the women... Namely, these three are still working the ministry of Jesus while the others have fled and don't know what they're doing and they're sitting there crying and sulking. These women are still working the ministry. There are things that still need to be done. The men aren't doing it and maybe it's not even their custom. But in the end, it's the women that are in the right place to hear the message of the resurrection. Listen, it's not a matter if I want to say whether I like this as a man. It's the truth of the Bible. <laughs> this, and this isn't like a, like a small message or anything. This isn't a small announcement. This is kind of a big deal. This is the Son of God. He's come back to life, right? He sent angels to preach and proclaim to the shepherds of the field at the birth of Jesus. Remember, God the Father did this, right? And now at his resurrection, the Father sends an angel to tell those who were near the tomb. In both instances, the one thing that the shepherds and the women have in common is that they are overlooked in importance. 
I'm going to say that one more time. In both instances, the shepherd and the women here have one thing in common, is that they are overlooked in their importance, and it's a shame. Because there are some incredible moments in the Bible with women. I'm going to sidebar real here and just teach you a little something here that's just unfortunate truth. But it's truth. Speaking on women and men in ministry, from the beginning, there has been a great frustration between the two. From the beginning. It's a dance that's gone on for like years and years, right? Eve was manipulated by the serpent into eating the fruit from the forbidden tree. My question always comes back is, but where was her husband? I mean, don't get me wrong. She definitely sinned all by herself, but Adam was supposed to protect her. Eve was his helpmate, a gift from God, a precious gift. And from that moment forward, a powerful frustration has come over the heart of a woman. And this is part of the curse. Women have been frustrated since the beginning due to their desire to lead what God called the head. And why is this? Mainly because that which God called the head doesn't like to lead sometimes when it should. Sorry, man. Not meaning to beat you today, but welcome to that ugly news. I mean, let's let's just be honest. Statistically today, women volunteer way more in ministry than men. Statistically today, women volunteer or are working the church more than men. And what can I say? It's especially true even here. We have faithful women here at Mosaic that are pouring their heart and soul into Wednesday nights to make sure the food gets prepared. They're doing all kinds of sorts of things in the background that most people don't even know or see. And overall, women give themselves to ministry today like no, nobody else. That's why there's all this call for women to preach. Women, why can't women preach? Why can't women go do these things? Why? Because the men aren't filling those spots. I don't see men stepping up to go to foreign countries. I mean, I, 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 I can tell you that I know women who have gone off to Islamic countries where they've gone on as missionaries to be raped. And ain't no men going there. And the women have taken up the brave call to go and tell others. Right? As a father to three girls with a couple of them being around the dating age, I can tell you that they are looking for a man to lead, not just sit back but actually lead from the front. Can I tell you that my daughters are looking for godly men? Can I, let me tell you one last thing. So is God. So is God. All right, let me get back on track. Just sorry, there's a little sidebar. All right? It's one of those things I had to hammer on. I can't deny what's happening here. I can't deny the fact that the first time the resurrection is talked about, it's given to three women to take back to everybody else. Hey, guys, I need you to go, take, go to my best friends, and I need you, the women who are seen as an inferior class within the Jewish culture at this point, where you just do whatever the husband say, I need you to actually go back, and I need, you to, I need you to bring this news to them. And what happens? Nobody believes them. I can't ignore that. I can't ignore that. All right. So the women, they're told to go back. They tell, they tell the uh, disciples, I love this, and what does it say? Go back and tell the disciples and Peter. Nice. So first things first, tell all my friends, Jesus says, that, that I'm alive, but also specifically, make sure Peter sees it. Make sure Peter hears it. Make sure Peter knows, right? Jesus knows that this denial thing between Peter and him is probably eating him up. Not probably, he knows, Right? And I love this because if Jesus acts this way with Peter when he's hurting, because if you're friends with Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that he'd be that way with you too? Jesus is hurting with Peter. It's compassion. It's not sympathy, man. I I get it. I feel sorry for you. No, 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 no. 
I'm hurting with you. I'm hurting with you. I'm crushed because you're crushed. I'm hurting with you, Peter. I feel it so bad that I, I want to reach out and make sure you, see, you, you know that I see you, Peter. So don't go back and just tell the disciples. Make sure you say Peter specifically. Make sure you gather him along individually and let him know that, Peter, I see you. And that's wonderful news because if, if Jesus is compassionate and sympathetic to our plight, to our struggles, to our concerns, our problems, I mean, isn't that comforting? When you're going through a rough day, when you're going through a rough time, what does the resurrection promise you? First of all, man, in the very first things that are handled, the very first bits of ministry that are handled upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Jesus showing you that he understands the plight, the hurt, and pain you feel. Not only does he understand it, but he'll specifically go out of his way to individually call you out if he has to, to let you know, I see you personally. I individually see you. I understand your struggle, not in a general way as one would preach to the public, but personally. Peter, I see you, buddy. I'm hurting with you. We're going to get through this, man. We're going to do this together. I mean, that's what he's saying, basically. He, he saw Peter. And when I, when I see that he sees Peter, guess what, man? It makes me feel good because I think, man, he sees me too. When I'm having a bad day and I'm not living like he's resurrected, he's like, Jim, I see you. And not in a way that's like, hey, man, why aren't you doing this? Not like a father that's got one hand on the belt, one hand pointing at me. Right? Like, buddy, it's okay. We're going to do this. We got this. We got this. So Mary runs off and he tells the disciples. And she runs into an obstacle. She's doing what she's told to do. But immediately the ministry is met with its first obstacle. They don't believe her. Other disciples eventually see him on the road, and they run back, and they tell the rest, and they don't believe them either. <laughs> These are guys who spent three years with Jesus. Think about it. Three years seeing some of the stuff they, they'd seen. And here's the hard truth to all of this right here. The resurrection, it was a stumbling block then. It's a stumbling block now. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow. Right? It's hard to believe based on what we know about the natural. I mean, for us, most of us, whether we like to believe it or not, even as Christians, we got that look like death is final. Or is it? Or is it? If the guys who saw and witnessed Jesus bring back people from the dead... <laughs> Right? They brought back a little girl. They brought back Lazarus. They saw these things, right? If they are struggling with this truth of the resurrection, how much more so will those who've never seen Jesus struggle with it? Welcome to patience. We should have a little bit more patience when people don't get Jesus, when people don't get the gospel. This is what make us should be, this is what should make us be loving more as a people. Because listen, even the apostles are like, hey man, Jesus is resurrected. Yeah, that, that's that's not true. His best friends thought it wasn't true. It's hard. The disciples questioned the validity of the whole story that Mary had told them. They didn't believe it because they couldn't see it. Not even in faith they could see it, right? However, because they sought Jesus, Jesus made himself known to them. This has never changed even unto this day. If you seek him, you will find him. Jesus made himself known to them, and nothing has changed today. For those who seek the resurrected Lord will find a resurrected Lord. 
However, the other side of this is true. If people aren't seeing Jesus today, this isn't a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection on those who associate and identify themselves with his name. Hear me. If you're going to call yourself Christian, you better be Christ-like. You better be Christ-like. That's what it is to be Christian, is to be Christ-like. It's not a matter of what you believe. Because if, if, if you believe in Christ and you want to be Christian, to be Christian is to identify with him. To identify with something is to be like something. And listen, I'm just going to be honest here. We've spent a year talking and dis- over a year talking and discussing what it is to be Christ-like. We've, in since October of last year, have dug into the truth and the scriptures about Jesus. Like, if you've sat here, you have no excuse as to why you're not Christ-like. You just don't. Our job, like Mary, is to tell the world that Jesus is alive. It's really simple. We're to point them into the direction of the Savior. We're to be the witness of the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. By his blood, he has atoned for all of our wrongdoing before the Lord. And by faith now, we are made clean or made white, as the Bible would say. And now that it's through the resurrection of Christ that we're going to rise from the grave and join Christ in the heavens where he's prepared this place for us, right? This is the good news. And you should tell them that. And then this is what you should do. You should trust now that Jesus will handle the rest. There's no way ever, I'm going to tell you one thing you have to do like real quick, if you ever decide you're going to be a minister or preacher, you, you got to get over the idea that ever like you actually bring anybody to Jesus. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as, man, that pastor's so good, look how many people come to Jesus. That's not why they come. That's not why they come. It's not because he's an eloquent speaker. Listen, God can make donkeys speak. Don't think too highly of the pastor, guys. All right? I mean, I, I, I told you, where, where did I hear the gospel? Amongst a couple of guys smoking marijuana in the garage. I heard the gospel there. Jesus finds his way into the darkest places. Jesus didn't, you know what, in that whole scenario, Jesus didn't need the church's help because these guys weren't all that church-based. The one thing that managed to make itself into that whole bunch was that Jesus loved them despite them. Praise God. Praise God because it was life-changing news that began to circulate and and. and, and just uh, uh, completely uh, take over every, it was the yeast poured down in there that took over the whole family. Our job is to trust Jesus with all of this, to just preach the gospel, to live an honest life. This is what he died for, right? And know this, that he eventually will reveal himself, just like he eventually reveals himself to the disciples. In so much as this, they eventually just get to touch his hand. Hey, man, you don't believe it? Feel my scars. I'll make myself tangible to you. By the way, uh, do you remember how Paul got saved? When did Paul see Jesus? When did he see him? Did he see him? He didn't. He went blind. You know where he saw Jesus? In Ananias. And Ananias, he saw Jesus in someone else. Jesus came to Ananias. He said, this, this guy, he's been blinded. I need, you to, I need you to let him see, right? And we all know the whole conversation between Ananias and God. You can imagine it for yourself. Hey, I'm sending you the Christian murderer to your house. Don't worry, I blinded him so you still get away from him if you have to. But I need you to heal his sight. I can, can you imagine that? I'm so glad God didn't come to me and ask me that. 
right? I'm glad he had somebody like Ananias that goes, God, I'll do whatever you say, even when it doesn't make sense. God, I'm not in the habit of bringing murderers into my home and then, and then praying for them and then giving them sight and allowing them to have dinner with me. It's not how it normally works, but for Ananias, God found a man who would listen to what he said, right? Who would be obedient to the call, who allowed the resurrected life to change him. And in changing him, it, it created an obedient servant for the Lord to be able to utilize, to lay his hands on Paul. And we never hear another word about Ananias ever again. But can I tell you, he got to lay hands on a man that would wreck the world for Jesus Christ. And you still think that you have no place Listen, if all you ever do is lay hands on one individual, who's to say what they're capable of? Your job is to be obedient. Your job is to allow the resurrection to change you. Jesus is not intimidated by lack of belief. He's not intimidated by lack of faith. Matter of fact, he sees them and he goes to them, right? He's not intimidated today by anybody else either. Because he's risen. He's alive. It's the crescendo to the cross. That death couldn't hold him down. That as Christ is resurrected, so are we. And the, and the resurrected life is life-changing truth. We're not only clean in our trespasses before the Father, but we too will rise from the grave. That should impact you. We'll not only rise, but we're going to go to heaven to a place that he has taken time out of his own schedule to prepare just for us. And that truth is supposed to change you. That truth is supposed to change you. This is why Easter is important. Sure, December is great, and we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and it's awesome that he's born, but we know why he's born. We know why. We've driven all the way from the very beginning of his time when he first walks onto the scene to now to his death, and this is what it's about. He didn't just die. He was raised up. He is alive. He's not a dead God. He is a live God. This should change us from the inside out, right? Remember the words of Paul we spoke from the Corinthians? Paul said this, I also saw him, but we know what really happened. And then he says, for I am the least of all the apostles, right? I, I can't believe he would make himself known to me. I can't believe that he would stoop down to a guy who was murdering off Christians. But he, he came down, he made himself low. He says, I, for I'm the least of the apostles. I didn't even get to like serve next to him. He says, in fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And then he goes on to say, but listen, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. What were the results? It changed his life forever. It changed his voice. It changed his mind. It changed his eyesight. It changed the way he heard things. It changed the way he behaved. And the truth changes the lives, listen, of all that follow Jesus then, and it's still changing the lives of all who follow him now. Amen? If it's not, it should be. My question to you this morning, are you allowing this truth to change your life? Because what's the resurrection worth if it's not? Well, I know Jesus is alive. Yeah, but you don't live like it. I mean, if you knew he was alive and you know he's omnipresent and omnipotent and that he's around all the time, would you watch the things that you watch? Would you do the things you do? Would you live the way you live? Would you act the way you act? Would you talk the way you talk? Are you allowing the resurrection truth to change your life? Let me ask you another question. The follow-up to something like this. Paul was notorious for like, like debating within himself. 
what's it changing into? If it is changing, what is it changing into? And I'm going to give you a couple options that both are scriptural. Now, I have a choice or I have a position, and I'll share with you a little bit of that, but biblically, we find both these options. Is it changing into an acceptable life or a life in pursuit of excellence? Which is, that's up to you. I, I mean, only you. Paul explored this to the Romans as he pleaded for them to live, listen, at the very least, and ex- to bring an acceptable worship before the Lord. you got to remember what he was struggling with with the Roman church. They're so lost in paganism, and the way they do things is so different from Jewish culture and different from everything that they had seen. What was acceptable in the Romans, they were having to live a lot more by grace, right? Let's not impose some of the Jewish things on them, man, because they need all the grace they can get because this is so foreign to them, right? So he said, listen, least Romans, to the Romans, least live in this acceptable, right? But then he also went to other churches and says, listen, I'm challenging you to live beyond acceptable and into excellence. Romans 12.1 read that I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you, right? The truth of the gospel should change you. Give your, once you understand this truth, I'm pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So we see this pursuit of, of a life that's acceptable. And then later on, as he moves into the Philippian church, and he presses on the, the Christians there in Philippians 1, 9 through 10, he says, and this is my prayer. This I pray that, you, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things, though, that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. So these two concepts, though, they live in kind of a frustration to one another, but they do exist. There are some that the truth of the resurrection has brought their life to pursue what is acceptable. What is acceptable. And... and to some degree, that's kind of noble. At least, at least they're trying. There's the effort, right? They're, they're, they're trying to live what's acceptably right before the Lord. But as you grow in Christ, or as Paul would expound on it, as you grow in love, right? As the more of the Christ endures you, as, as more of the resurrection begins to take over your life, as you grab a hold of Jesus deeper and greater, right? As more of your love abounds, it should ultimately lead you to the pursuit of excellence, to the pursuit of excellence. Otherwise, are you really growing at all if you never change? If you're satisfied with your walk, you should be asking yourself questions. To grow is to change. This is not only true in the physical as somebody who's lost 35 pounds and had to get new clothes. Growing changes. All right? It's also true in the spiritual as well. I recently read an interview on this subject that happened between the U.S. Uh, it was years ago uh, between President Jimmy Carter and a uh, U.S. Naval Academy uh, back when he was just a young one going through the academy. And they had this uh, admiral. His name was Admiral Hyman Rickover, and he was known as like a really hard individual. Right, but very famous because he was take, not only taking over the school, but he had great results all the time, and he was known for these interviews. I mean, he was known he would do stuff like you know cut off an inch off the front part of the chair just to make you feel uncomfortable in the interview. Right, so you're sitting kind of forward, kind of leaning forward, and you're trying to scoot back, but you can't because the chair's leaning. I mean, he did things like this for the psychological value of things. Right, so he's very well known, and Jimmy Carter was very uh, 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 nervous about walking in there and doing this interview. 
And so the admiral brings him in, he sits him down in the chair, and then he, then he basically asks him, he says, you know, listen, uh, 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 this is, he says, um, he basically asks him, how, how had he stood in his class? How was he doing? Where was he ranked in his class? And, and Jimmy Carter says, well, I swelled my chest with pride, and I answer, sir, I stood 59th in a class of 820. It's like, that's pretty good, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Right. And he and he says, listen, I sat back and I was waiting for like, congratulations. Like, that's pretty great. You know, instead came another question. The admiral looked at him and said, did you do your best? And President Carter says, I started to say yes, sir. But I remembered who this was. He says, I gulped and I admitted, no, sir, I didn't always do my best. And some of us, we would chalk it up to, well, he was young, you know. Probably had some moments like we all do where he just, but that's just the truth. Did you do your best? Well, no, sir. I didn't do my best. President Carter says he looked at me for a long time and then asked one final question that he's never been able to forget or answer. He said this, why not? Why not? I'm going to tell you something. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But are you living a transformed life? Are you living a life that Christ died for? Are you living a resurrected life? One that has changed you from the inside out. Listen, not to mediocrity. So that you can just live what's acceptable. But literally strive towards excellence. Because, man, I tell you what happens from time to time is we get to that place where we have a little radical moment. We get really radical for a little while. And then we seep back into what's mediocre again. Well, I know I can get by if I just show up to church and if I just do some of these things. I don't even have to come a whole bunch. But if I'm just at least somewhat in the habit of it, and then you're right. Here's a God who promised you life and life abundance. Who wants to give you more. But you won't take it. It's there to be took, but you won't take it. You, you know how many people I meet, they were trying to save their marriages. They're, they're, they're trying to save friendships or relationships. And I, I, as counsel, I get all these things, people who are trying to work out stuff with their kids after they're all grown up. And I get all these things like, that come to me, right? And I'm trying to tell them, listen, have you allowed the gospel to transform you? Have you allowed your life to be transformed first, right? Because the first thing that needs to happen is your life has to be transformed by Jesus. Revival starts here with you, right? And it seeps into others, that's revival. That's the resurrection life. You know, you know, and it makes me so radical. I feel like I'm a Paul. I feel like, God, what are you doing? You are crazy to bring somebody like me in. God, you know how much I mocked you? Do you know how much I like called you names, God? Do you know the things that I've done to other pastors or have said to other pastors, God, when I was an unbeliever? How is it, God, that you love me? How is it that you would die for me? How is it that you would live for me? And every time I come back to this truth, I can't escape the pulpit. I can't escape wanting to go out and love kids on, on Halloween night. I can't I don't have any. Listen, I mean, it mandates my life. You know why I'm here and not deer hunting on open weekend? Because I promised God that it, no idol would come before me. Because the hunting was one of my idols. I'll never forget, I had this dream of owning land. And I remember the first time God says, I need you to give me all your dreams. And I need... He didn't say I need. He says, I want to be your dream. He says, I'll take care of you. 
the, the irony is I've always wanted to live in the country. I always wanted to be able to do something. God always puts me in places where I never have any, all the things that I've always wanted. I might not own them, but I've always been able to enjoy them. And God has put wonderful people around me. You know, I, I'm a guy who thrives off relationship. I don't like, my wife will tell you, I don't like being alone. I rarely hunt by myself. I always want to take somebody. I'm always trying to invite somebody to go because I hate being alone. So what God does, God makes me a preacher and all these people. God says, I want you to be in a relationship with all these people. I want you to develop a relationship with everybody. I want you to love on everybody in this entire town and be in a relationship with all of them. You don't want to be alone. I've given you a people. You'll never be alone. You know how I hear from that? You know how I know those things? Because I talk to him. Because the resurrected life, God's alive, so I can talk to him. He's alive. He talks back. And if you think he doesn't, you're not waiting long enough. Some of you need to sit in prayer just a little bit longer. Can I tell you, I heard something this week, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about where we're going. If somebody wants to text the worship and get them ready, here's a little bit of where we're going. And I can tell you, I heard something this week that also challenged my heart as well. Me and my mentor, we've been kind of going over a few things. And, and again, I have a mentor because I have also, not only does the board do well to keep me accountable, but I also have another pastor friend of mine who's kind of grown me up in the ministry that has challenged me spiritually all the time. What are you praying for, Jim? How are you praying? How much are you praying? Are we really, you really talking to God? Are you really saying the things that need to be said? How is the resurrecting life changing your life? Because, Jim, if you're about to get up and preach that to them, how is it really changing your life? One thing I can tell you, and I told you a little bit last week, you better get ready because you know what comes after the resurrection, right, is the ascension. And after the ascension is the Holy Ghost. And I can tell you next year is going to be a mark of this church from the power of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that right now. You better get ready because we haven't yet to discuss what the altars were. There's some of you already kind of know, and I know some of you kind of don't know why we have these wooden things that sit out front. That's because we're going to talk about that. What creates the altar? Why we have altars? And when that happens, there's going to be a shift this next year. And it won't be because I want to do it. It's because this is how the Holy Spirit runs. You know, I'm going to say something that, that uh, C.S. Lewis does well. And I think he's uh, talking about the Holy Spirit when he says it. Uh, uh, he says that you do know that... Uh, uh, and, and Aslan is the form of Jesus in the book. Aslan is like a, another name for the lion, right? He says, you do know that Aslan's not a tame lion. I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is not a tame. He cannot be tamed. He does whatever he wants to do. So listen, if you think I'm challenging you, wait, because it's uh, about to happen. It's about to happen. And it's not because I want it. It's because God wants it. God wants to show you what he can do. God wants to show you a resurrected life. God wants to show you a transformed life. He wants to give you a life that's not just acceptable, that strives for excellent. He wants you to live an excellent life, an abundant life, a life greater than. I'm not, ta- I'm not a prosperity gospel kind of guy. But listen, there's no doubt what the resurrection was meant to do. Look at what it did to Paul. That's the example of what it's meant to do to you. Paul didn't see Christ. He persecuted the church after Christ. But God wants to do that to you. He wants to meet you on the road to Damascus. He wants to meet you on whatever road that your troubles are on. All right? Whatever road your journey takes you, He wants to meet you there. He wants to knock you off your horse a little bit and then open your eyes. And some of you need it. Some of you need it. We all need it. I need it. Praise God for uh, accountability. Praise God for mentors in my life. Right? So one of the things that I tell you that's, that's going to happen, it's going to end up happening. I'm speaking into life right now. Is that not only when we get done on a Sunday morning here praying for the Holy Ghost and praying for the Spirit to move next year, but I'm thinking about opening us up on Monday mornings. And if you want to pray on Monday mornings for the Holy Spirit to fill your life, we'll, we'll meet on Sunday mornings and Monday mornings early before work and, and open up for prayer every Monday morning as well. 
God said his house will be called the house of prayer. And we will restore. Part of the return is returning back to what he called this to be. And that is the house of prayer. We did not take this journey in Mark not to walk away changed by the ministry of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have wasted our time. We will follow this where it leads, and you know where it leads. Tongues of fire. Get ready. If you didn't know I was Pentecostal, you're about to. You're about to. You're about to see the side of me you haven't seen. And, and, and get ready, because you haven't seen this side. Believe it or not, when I first got saved, I used to jump on the pews and dance. It's for real. Man, you, and you know, it's for real. It used to be kind of weird and strange. I just closed my eyes. I literally would be on the pews. I come from churches where the pastors literally, y'all haven't met Pastor Harris. Some of you have. I've seen him run across the top of pews. Hey, listen, I don't know what God does. God does weird stuff to people. What I do know is that he's not a tame lion. I don't get to tell God what he wants to do. I don't get to tell God anything. I try to do whatever he tells me to do. And listen, what he's offering you is a transformed life to pursue something more than just mediocre, to pursue something more than just what's acceptable. All right? It's to pursue excellence. Can I tell you, you know what people are going to say when you pursue excellence, what I've had to live through too? Is they'll say, hey, man, that's just being legalistic. Maybe, but I call it relationship. I know that there are some things in my life, man, that need to take a priority. My relationship with God is one of them. It is. Attendance doesn't make you saved, but can I tell you? You know why the message came to the women? Because they wanted to be near Jesus. Even if he's dead, I'd rather be by him dead than I would be this world alive. That's why he came to them. I heard Leonard Ravenhill once time say, give, give me revival or give me death. That is the spirit that is going to win the next generation. You better come to your own place with Jesus on that. Because it's going to happen. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for worship. Give us revival or give us death. With open eyes to see you, Father, and open ears to hear you. Let us be part of your plan. Mm -hmm. 